Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interviewed Henry Moissanek and Maxime Romain, co-founders of Dot. Dot were interesting. They've kept their head down and not made much noise, and I didn't know much about them. But then they won Paris as one of only three operators, so clearly they were onto something. It was a great talk to the team and learn more, mainly around operational excellence and capital efficiency. In news this week, Simon Cal fell off his e-bike and hurt his back. Quite the kerfuffle. Except it's more the exception than the rule, and I'll be the first to point out that Bicmo, the insurer in Europe, is providing up to 25% discounts over other kinds of bikes on the basis that e-bikes are safer than non-assisted and have 38% less claims. This debate about safety, however, will continue to rage for a long time, and I think that being able to equip ourselves with facts, hopefully, will help us progress that conversation intelligently. In a bit of highly specific nerdery, the generalized bike share feed specification or GBFS that is part of the MDS announced that they finally support dockless systems in their new specification. Sounds small, but this lays an important block at the feet of the tower the micromobility is building. Soon, all systems will be able to view where other operators' scooters or e-bikes are easily and quickly. With future payments hopefully able to be integrated, we're getting closer to the elusive, seamless stringing together of micromobility trips with other modes of transport. Watch this space. Finally, BMW has been working on an electric pod vehicle similar to the covered C1 scooter they did in the 90s. It'll be like an e-moped, but it'll include safety features including seat belts, airbags, and crumple zones. I see so much potential for motorbikes and scooters to be rethought with the advent of good quality electric powertrains, and I expect to hear more about such vehicles in the future. Finally, many thanks to all of you who have sent in kind words over the last month or so. Read the podcast and what you like about it. It's always lovely to hear. If you want to reach out, please DM me on Twitter and let me know what you think and what you'd like to hear more of. And with that, here's Henry and Maxim. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. I have with us today, Maxim and Henry. How are you guys going today? Awesome. Yeah, great. Thanks for your... Oh, look, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I, uh, obviously, some very exciting news has come through very recently, so I want to be uh, the first, uh, if I can, congratulate you in this, in this kind of context uh, on winning the, being one of the three operators to win Paris. Thank you very much. We are very happy with that. Um, I think it's a testimonial of all the hard work we put over the last year, and we think it's just the beginning of a long-term relationship with the city of Paris. Yeah, and we are, we are, and we are also uh, very proud to announce that we won also uh, just one week after the tender in Lyon, uh, which is one of the the major cities also in in France and in Europe. So uh, very exciting. Oh, that's very exciting. Oh, wonderful. Well, look for the, for the, for the folks who don't know, other than the fact that you know, hey, look, Dot is another one of these four letter scooter companies. You know, uh, what's the t- take us through kind of the origin story of how uh, it came to be and the and the story of you two and 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 um and, and setting it up. Yeah. So um, Henry and I, we both met at Ofo, so the bike sharing company, um, and. Uh, 
And the reason we joined OFO is that we saw what was going on the mobility market. It was very exciting to see that suddenly, uh, uh, thanks to uh, IoT technology and thanks to uh, uh, shared uh, bikes, you could get a lot, uh, actually millions of people uh, to start using bikes in cities again. And so that's what got us excited uh, to, to join uh, OFO. Uh, we saw uh, on one side that indeed there's a huge market. Uh, you put bikes in the streets, uh, people use them. On the other side, we also saw a lot of the challenge of a shared uh, micro-mobility when you don't have a really good hardware, when you don't collaborate well with cities, when you don't master your operations. And so what we saw is that we thought there was no way to, to really make it uh, work in the long run uh, within OFO. Uh, and we saw also that we could not see uh, any player, whether in the US or in China, doing it really well. And so at that time, we thought, okay, why don't we create ourselves a European player uh, that will be specialized in shared micro-mobility, but we are going to do it in a responsible way, meaning that from the start, we want to make it uh, sustainable environmentally and economically. So, and that led us uh, obviously to, uh, to, uh, to create, uh, to start uh, DOT, but also to make a few very strong decisions from the beginning, which is one, very big focus on hardware. Second, uh, we are going to do all our operations in-house. And three, uh, we are going to, uh, to build very strong collaborations with cities from the beginning. So that's a little bit the beginning of that. Yeah, yeah excellent. And so take us through, so that was, in the, that was in the early days. So did you start with bikes or did you, did you go straight into scooters? We went, uh, we started right away uh, with e-scooters because we definitely thought that it was a very interesting form factor. People really liked it. And we thought, okay, that's a, a great way to, to get into shared micro-mobility. But as a company, we're agnostic. So we don't believe that e-scooter is the only form uh, that uh, will work in the micro-mobility market. Uh, e-bikes are great, bikes are great, and there will be many more other types of vehicles also that uh, will be interesting for people. Excellent. Well, we'll get onto that in, uh, in the future because I've got I do have some questions around that. Uh, but for, for folks who are, you know like me, I, I haven't tried a dot. I haven't been in Europe. Uh, which which cities are you in? How many cities are you in? How big is your operations nowadays? So we, we today we operate in fourteen cities. Uh, we're in uh, Belgium, France, Italy, Germany, and Poland. Uh, we typically do very large cities like Paris, Lyon, Brussels, Milan. We, we, we don't do too many uh, smaller cities. We move about 100 to 150,000 monthly av- riders on average. We are carbon neutral on every ride since day one. That's very important for us. And we're also a bit positive on every ride in every city. That's also very important for us. EBIT as in And we're about 250, 250 uh, yeah, yeah, profitable, a bit positive on every ride in every city. Yeah. And we're about 250 uh, employees across the company. But what's important to know is that um, we do everything in-house. 100% of our operations are done in-house for maximum safety and transparency. And so all the operations people are included in the 250 employees that I just listed. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and for context as well, because obviously I look at the European players and 
you know, uh, the, the, there's this sort of there's Voy. There used to be Cirque. Obviously, Cirque is uh, got Ball by Bird, um, and then there's Tia. Those are the sort of the the big ones that get talked about. And then there and then there has been Dot. Uh, there, um, how do you how do you how are you different in that sense uh, when you compare yourself in terms of funding or other things as well? Like how what are, what are the differentiating factors around how you see yourselves? Yeah, so from, from the get-go, I think we were quite different from everybody else. Actually, a lot of people thought we were crazy. A lot of the other players, they went for land grab. They rushed to 50 cities. They have applied a typical Uber playbook where you try to open as many cities as possible. You asphyxiate, you flood them with scooters, and you try to asphyxiate everybody else. It's a great fundraising story because you have a high top line, that fuels also very high losses. And with that, you try to raise. It's a great fundraising story, but that music has stopped. Mm. Uh, we went for a much more disciplined growth approach. We did first only three cities for the first six months, and we did them extremely well. And they were large cities, highly competitive. It helped us uh, build operations and product. We use superior operations and superior product as weapons when the other ones are using capital as a weapon. So they have a great fundraising story. We have a great business story. It's we are much more capital efficient. And what's interesting is because the music has stopped for you know fundraising for all the uh, most of the players, including Bird, Lime, even Jump. Everybody now is talking like we are talking. They talk about discipline. They talk about unit economics first. Uh, they talk about superior operations. But that's what we've been doing since day one. So it's, it's, and we believe that's the right way of doing things. So we're qu actually quite happy to see everybody, you know, go away from flooding cities to doing it the right way. Yeah. Well, take me through, um, uh, what, what, what you mean by that? Like when you, when you say you're operationally efficient, is there any, any sort of stats or things that you can share relative to how the rest of the industry might perform, uh, that you can point out around the way that you operate? Yeah, so because we wanted to do it in a disciplined way and a capital efficiency way, we started to do everything in-house, meaning we don't have any blind spots. We track everything. Since day one, every single charge, every single swap, every single repair has been done in-house. And we've learned from that. So you, you get great unit economics with a combination of two things. You get better hardware, and everybody has that type of better hardware today, but half of it is also better operations. And by controlling and mastering everything in-house, you just get slightly better every day. You know, every day we get 1% improvement compared to the other ones. A lot of the other ones have started outsourcing in order to flood cities, to go as fast as possible in 50, 60 cities. They outsource, they contract out. They have people and they, they don't know. They, they don't know what's going on. They don't have the right data. They don't have the right people. People are not highly motivated with the mission like our own employees. And so every day we have 1% improvement versus the other ones. Every day they are losing 1% improvement versus ours. Uh, and so after a while, you, you get that uh, step change. We, we believe we are far superior operations and therefore far superior unit economics today. And I hear you on that, but I mean, in the sense of... Um uh, like is your churn ratio, for example, for your scooters, so that the amount of scooters that you would retain higher yeah. is your cost per charge yeah. lower? How, 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 how yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what are some Oliver, sort of Oliver, operations? I can maybe give you a, a few examples without going overly in detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for instance, I think uh, uh, if you want one a very clear example that, that cannot be uh, disputed is today uh, we are still operating our first generation of scooters. 
You mm. know, this is the generation of scooters that we started 18 months ago. This uh, generation of scooters, we are still operating, I think, uh, more than 70 or 80% of the original fleet. Uh. This is something that nobody else has been able uh, to do. Uh. You know, you really look at uh, all our competitors, all the scooters that they were operating 18 months ago, they have somehow disappeared. We don't know where, but they've disappeared. <laughs> yeah, and, small, you know, small pile concrete, in, uh, somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. But this has concrete economical uh, resource, right? Because it means that we are still making money out of this fleet that we invested 18 months ago. Huh? Mm. Uh, so that's just one example uh, that I can share with you. Nice, and, nice. And, we're, and today the, the scooters are fully operational and they're also yeah. profitable every day on every ride. The, the so exist, those ones or the new ones that you are putting the, out The ones well? from February 2019. The ones yeah, from yeah. February and March and April 2019. They are fully operational right now in Italy, in Poland, and they are carbon neutral and a bit positive on every ride. Mm. Excellent. Um, so, so I have a couple of questions there. Which is so the the hard for, on a hardware perspective. Did you go and build your own custom hardware, or how how did you look at doing that? What what's that evolution been over over your uh, journey? On, on the hardware, uh, the scooters that we are operating are not at this stage our own uh, design or fully designed hardware. Uh, the things that we do is one, we are extremely selective about the design that we select. And second, we change the design uh, of the scooters that we operate according to our needs with the aim to make them as durable as possible and as cheap to operate as possible. So that's what we do. However, we are also working on our own design. And so our own fully designed e-bike, for instance, is going to be launched by the end of the year uh, in the European market. Excellent. Very exciting. So, so just, just to be clear, for scooters, we take existing design and we change some bits and pieces, hardware and software inside. But the, the main base is the same standard uh, design that you see with all the players. By the way, all the players do exactly the same. And then for e-bike, we yeah. decided we wouldn't use a Chinese e-bike. And so we created from scratch a 100% dot e-bike. It will be built, designed, assembled in Europe. And we hope to launch it as soon as possible. So what, so talk, yeah, because I, I think that's an interesting, um, it's been an interesting strategy watching how different companies have done that, for example, and, and which companies have gone with a, you know, you've seen things like Jump or I know that uh, Lime has been looking at designing its own scooter, for example. Um, what's the what's the rationale for obviously looking to do that? Is it just part of your capital efficiency aspect? You don't want to go out and spend all that money on design when the, the technology is still evolving so quickly? How did, how did you think through that part? Yeah, so... On, on one side, it's very interesting to fully master the hardware because as an operator, you are the only one who fully understands the user experience, the operational needs, the needs of the cities, uh, and uh, in, in general, uh, what you need to make your, your uh, product very durable. The manufacturers, they don't have this direct understanding. And this is why, in theory, it's much better as an operator to, uh, to be designing your own hardware. The problem is obviously that hardware is hard <laughs> to master. It takes time. Uh, it's big investments. Uh, and if you get it wrong, it's also, it has a big impact for your business. So you, the problem is, yeah, you have to navigate between these two uh, kind of tendencies where on one side, you would like to fully master your own hardware. But on the other side, it 
quite costly if you don't get it right and it's also it takes quite some time actually to master it so that's uh, i think why where most operators are, are navigating today in between yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch the industry and how it's how it's uh, adapted. The the one part that does uh, is very interesting from from uh, what you just said is that the only other group that I know of that's developed their own e bike, kind of from the get go, has been Jump, and obviously yeah. they, you know that was uh, they. <laughs> that uh didn't go so well you know uh in the sense of in the sense of i you know i i uh interviewed ryan on 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 the podcast and he 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 was amazing in the sense of just being really honest about the challenges and that it took a long time for them to really get themselves into um a place um of being of having a piece of hardware that they're really happy with to have out on the road um and so um yeah. So, cool. yeah, so I think I think I think in the long run it pays off, but obviously you have to be extremely careful huh? yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There they, they have there have been a lot of companies that design their own uh, e-bikes and bikes. Uh, Movi- Motivate, for example, in the United States, uh, Lyft uh, is building their own uh, bikes. I think I'm not sure. Mm. Um, Smooth and Go with Velib. You are also next bike. I mean, every bike operator at some point tried to do their own hardware. And technologies have changed and improved, and we, we, we believe the challenge is extremely difficult, but it's possible to achieve it in a successful way in 2020. And that's why we're mm. trying. We have yeah. the balls to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so take me through, um, so you've got the, the, is it 14 cities you said that you operate in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and, you, and you went specifically for tier one and not tier two or tier three by the sounds of things so we have 10 10 cities that are large cities and four cities that are small cities okay excellent and and um with that you know it sounds like i mean you've got paris which is arguably the largest micromobility market uh, in the sort of the shared space uh globally um how how have you thought about like what have you seen in the evolution of that space over the last you know 18 months two years uh so, you know in terms of how cities are thinking about this and how companies are thinking about their own uh, about cities as well so my, my take is that this move to new mobility is very possible and it's happening and it has happened in city we, we tend to forget it has happened in specific cities you know there are universities there are cities there are specific suburbs that are all about bikes or e-bikes now take amsterdam for example 30 years ago it, it was full of cars and now it's full of bikes and so this thing has been going on forever uh, in Paris, in London, they started investing in the proper infrastructure about 10 years ago. They started subsidizing schemes, for example, Centre de Bike in London, uh, Velib in Paris. And that trend is accelerating every day as users want more of that and the cities want less pollution and less carbon emission. And COVID has dramatically accelerated this. You see faster rush to infrastructure, they build temporary bike lanes everywhere, faster rush to uh, regulation. For example, we thought in the UK regulation uh, would take forever. It has been accelerated by, with COVID. So, you know, it's, it's like it, we're, it's just going in the, in the direction of history. And this has been accelerating. Every year is going faster than the year before. And, and now in terms of companies, there were companies trying to do uh, micro mobility with mechanical bikes at first, then share, uh, uh, share bikes, share e-bikes, and then the new form factor, the, the scooter. 
um, there, there are more and more companies because there's more and more capital coming to fuel these companies. The hardware gets better, the operations get better, the software gets better. And we are now at this point where we can prove it's sustainable for the planet and sustainable economically for investors. And we're at this magic moment where it's just going to work in the right way from now. Mm, mm, mm. Anything you want to add there, Maxim? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think cities, as, as Henry mentioned, are overall, I think, more and more supportive of shared micro-mobility. And, and we see more and more cities organizing tenders right now. It's happening in the UK. It has happened in Italy very recently, also in France. So that's all very exciting. In terms of what the cities want, I think they, they want one uh, to be sure that the operator is, uh, has a safe uh, vehicles uh, and is operating the, the vehicles in a safe way. Second, they want to make sure that the operator doesn't create a mess so that the, the fleet uh, will, uh, will be tidy uh, in the streets. Uh, three, they want to be sure that the operator will still be operating uh, you know, in two or uh, five years' time. So that's also uh, something that is very important uh, uh, for them. And fourth, they want to be sure that there will be, uh, you know, very good collaboration and that whatever they need, you know, the operator will be willing to, uh, to collaborate with them to, to make it happen. And I think, at least from our perspective at DART, this is what's favoring us and also what has helped us win tenders like in Paris or in Lyon, because from the beginning, that's the way we have been operating, closely collaborating with cities, controlling all our operations in-house, uh, so that, you know, we don't create a mess in city. Actually, what we do is, uh, you know, very well controlled. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the, um, that, that part, the point number three that you said about having a sustainable partner that's going to be around for a long time. Because I certainly mm-hmm. think uh, having both talked to regulators and also talked to operators uh, that there's, well, at least in the beginning, there was a, during the blitz scaling period, uh, there was a lot of distrust there, which really didn't help. And and then subsequently, obviously, there's been carnage in the markets, you know, like what's happened to Jump and what's happened to a lot of other micromobility players and the down round for Lime and um, just yeah. that whole space has made it, you know, if, if anything, only confirmed the regulator's worries or regulators' worries around the sustainability of, of uh, players in the in the medium to long term. So, you obviously have come out and said we're e bit positive uh, in terms of profitable, which in theory means that you're a more sustainable player. Can you talk through one what that means for the cities that you're dealing with, and then two, I actually want to un- un- unpack what e bit profitable means because I think there's always yeah every 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 player has their own definition of. Um, you know, I'm non-gap profitable. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but that, what does that mean? You know, so uh, yeah. So what what does that mean for the for the cities? And then and then uh, let's talk through what, what what that actually means as well in the wider sense. Henry, do you want to take that one? Yeah, uh, sure, sure. Um, so in our discussions with the cities, the other points are far more important than specifically uh, profitability or not profitability. Uh, it's, 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 as Maxim said, it's the right service done in a proper way, orderly and tidy, and with social responsibility towards the planet, the employees, the users, the, the pedestrians, and things like that. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about hardware, about the maintenance, how we're going to make it available, affordable for everyone. We, we spend a lot of time talking about how we are carbon neutral, 
how we uh, you know try to make sure it's done in a proper way how our operations are done by our own employees and no, no gig economy and how we pay attention to uh, all the non-riders the pedestrians so for example a lot of discussions about parking uh, technologies and all the things we do in order to make the, the roads uh, safer for riders and non-riders typically the, the question around profitability uh, you know it's it's one question but it's one question among many many questions now, right. specifically right. to answer your question on profitability, the way we measure profitability is uh, the revenues minus the operation minus all the hardware expenses and depreciation so, so that the fleet pays for itself. Okay. And that's, that's EBIT. And there's only one way to measure that, it's EBIT, because you need to take into account depreciation of hardware. So we measure EBIT. It's as simple as that. Right. So when you're EBIT positive, so, so is it... Um, yeah, 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 obviously, because I think I, there's, there's a, there's a fair, fair number in the industry who might say, well, my operation, operationally, I'm very profitable. It's like, yeah, but you don't take into account the fact that you're spending $800 on a scooter every time you buy one and, and you're not factoring in those costs. So when you say depreciation, is that the, obviously the, the, um, the, the vehicle itself is being purchased and then depreciated over some period of time and overall across your entire fleet, you're depreciating it at whatever that rate is, but you're profitable over that depreciation rate. Yes, so there are many ways to compute depreciation. You can take some aggressive, some more conservative. You know, there are four or five ways of doing it. We take the most conservative, so mm-hmm. we are super safe in our assumptions, and that's that's where we are. Excellent. Uh, there, there are. You're right. Other players talk about you know contribution margin one, two, three. Actually, I don't know exactly what that means. We just look at the very very last line of any uh, you know financial statement, and that's a bit. Yes, but the, and you're not yet profitable at the full company level because you've obviously got the, the you've got a, 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 a tech development team and everything at the, the sort of a headquarters yeah, so, in addition to so to the city operations. Once once you've put the operations aside, you have HQ and HQ. You can be uh, more or less uh, lean or fat at the HQ level depending on the R and D that you mm-hmm. invest. Uh, some 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 players may actually decide to be profitable group wide by making huge sacrifices at the HQ level. We've seen, for example, some players in the ride hailing category or in the scooter sharing category dismiss some people in R and D and engineering. We 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 don't have to do that. So at at the group level, we were uh, cash flow positive in June um, because we had such a great uh, piece of uh, set of revenues then, we are still uh, quite close to a full group profitability, but we continue to invest heavily in R&D, for example, uh, the e-bike. Mm-hmm. And that level of R&D, we, we are committed for the long term. So we, are do, we do invest quite a lot at the HQ level for R&D. If we wanted to sacrifice uh, R&D like some other players do, we, yeah, we would be a group, a group-wide a bit positive. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the implications of that because the, the sense that I get is that the early part of this entire industry has really been funded on venture funding. But it strikes me that if, you've got, if you're able to really clearly show that you're able to get to a business which is profitable and um, that there are ways to work with governments where you can go, oh, oh yeah how long are your contracts typically by the way at the moment and, and have we seen anything changing in the length of contracts being awarded like i don't actually know how long the paris contract was is it a one-year thing is it a five-year thing yeah or? it's two years as you as you as you said the world has changed for for the last 10 years you could fund a company forever fuel all the losses with venture money 
Uber is a perfect example of that. It went all the way to IPO being far away from anything profitable. And still after IPO, it's still not profitable. And they are working very, very hard now to change the DNA of the company to turn that business into a profitable business. We, we, we thought at DOT, we wouldn't want to, to play that race. Uh, we saw Lime, Bird, Voy, and Tier go for that land grab, flood cities, raise as much money as possible. And we thought the music would stop for these people at some point. We, we stayed away from that. So the, 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 the aim was to reach uh, proper operations and proper profitability as soon as possible. When you get to that point, f you, you basically have freedom. You can raise more equity if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. You can raise debt if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, and we're, we're getting to a stage, I think DOT, as well as many other players, will show such great unit economics that it will be possible to uh, fund the increase of CapEx and the expansion of new cities with just debt, not just equity. Mm -hmm. At this yeah. stage, I think a lot of the players will do a bit of equity, a bit of debt. Some players will have to do a lot more because they have to fuel such high losses. We don't have to. Uh, and then, as, as, as you said, at some point, the industry will be uh, great from a unit economic standpoint and profitability standpoint. And you, you can fund all your expansion just with that. And talk, talk me through how much funding you've taken to date. So today we've raised 50 million euros. Five zero. Yep. Yes. And, and if you look at where DOT is at compared to a lot of the other players, we probably have twice a better set of winning positions in cities and profitable position in cities for less than one third of the capital spent by others. And so this, this really shows you know, how capital efficient we've been compared to some other players. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And th I think that's the, the thing that's very interesting is the, what cities can you point to and the contracts that you can point to? Because that to me strikes, the way that I watch the, the shared micromobility spaces, those contracts are your lifeline. Like if you lose a contract, uh, you know, the, so a big, I, I a big think, contract, I you're think kind you're, of- Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure about this. For, for a lot of players that were relying on government contracts in the past, Mm -hmm. where the, 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 the city would fund the schemes. Yes. Uh, every contract is life and death. Well, it depends how big it is. Uh, mm. we, we operate in a world where some cities will be regulated, some cities will not be regulated. We want to be competitive in, in both cases. Where, where you're right is that in the case of Paris, we, Paris was our showcase on how we do the right service in a proper way, in a social responsible way. And so it would have been very disappointing for DOT not to, uh, you know, win when we are, by doing, uh, by definition, doing what we think is the right way. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, so um, the 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 kind of a, a a wider a wider look at the industry in terms of uh, obviously we can see that there's a lot of owned micromobility that's really exploded. Um, and especially in the last like three, three, four months, um, what's, what, what have you seen in terms of activity during the summer in Europe this summer, obviously it was quite a unique period. And then, um, and how are you thinking about DOT as a, as a micromobility? Do you think that you're going to stay as a shared micromobility player and that's going to be the sole operating and business model that you're going to look at? Or are you looking at other ways to access the, um, as you say, uh, yeah, the, the sort of the, the emergence of this technology and the, and the, and the, the, the stuff that gets enabled by these vehicles. And maybe we'll go back some first and then yeah. Henry, if you've got anything to add. 
Yeah, I think first, uh, uh, what we see is that the market keeps growing. Uh, and so, for instance, we have seen the UK market that very quickly, like all the cities suddenly want uh, uh, shared micro-mobility and shared scooters uh, in their cities. We have seen the same in Italy. In France, it's also happening. And, and so the market, the market is becoming bigger and bigger. Um, two, uh, I believe that we'll probably see, uh, you know, there's been a lot of investment in e-scooters in the past two years. I think we'll see more investments in electrical bikes that are also something, uh, a type of vehicle very popular uh, right now in, uh, in Europe uh, and maybe more types of vehicles. Uh, three, uh, we'll see more and more cities that are probably uh, protected uh, thanks to these standards. And fourth, and I think that's more in the long run, uh, the question will be uh, for uh, companies like Dart is how do we progressively uh, integrate with other forms of mobility? Uh, companies like Dart and, and probably uh, um, you know, other companies were very interested, for instance, with partnership with public transportation companies. And actually, we have already set up some partnership like with uh, AITP in, uh, in Paris, which is the... Uh, you know, all the, the public transportation company in Paris. But technologically, uh, there are still gaps between, uh, I would say, the, the shared micro-mobility players and a lot of the public transportation companies. So will we be able to bridge this gap to offer a fully uh, integrated mobility experience for uh, the users? That's the big question, I think, for, for the, the coming years. And uh, we hope pretty much it will be the case, yeah. In the, 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 a lot of these players started building micro-mobility services for a few. And sometimes at the expense of pedestrians and people that you know, just don't want to use that and they just see liters, uh, liter in the street. We, we want to build mobility for everyone. And that includes uh, on our dot scooters, on our dot e-bikes, in partnership with other uh, uh, mobility services that provide a clean service, not, not just uh, dot. Yeah. Um, the, the, the integration with public transport is one that I, I think about a lot. And I know that a lot of other, uh, uh, play, I mean, this is a conversation that comes out of almost every shared micromobility operator that I talk to is, mm. yeah, we would like to be able to integrate with public transport. The one pushback that I'll give to you on, on that is it strikes me at the moment that the unit economics are not, you know, if you think about the fact that, uh, that the, 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 um, Say, for example, you run a train with every additional person that hops on that train, the marginal cost per additional unit actually really decreases. Like it really, you get to the point that it gets, you know, you get economies of scale, which is why you're able to run a public transport service. Um, whereas with something like micromobility, there's a sort of cost floor that we've hit, I feel, uh, in, in terms of, you know, you there may be some operational improvements that you can offer or things like that, but you're still, you know, every additional kilometer that, that a that might be part subsidized by a uh, by, by a player uh, like a like a, a public transport agency is going to be expensive and it's going to be really expensive it might it might enable them to for example funnel more people onto a train or onto a bus or out of the other public transport options um, but for a lot of the conversation a lot of the conversations I've had with public transport operators has been yeah, we really like this, but the cost is too high for us to be able to do anything on this at the moment. And literally, if we would offer a sub sort of subscription to, in addition to the standard train, for example, it's just, it wouldn't be workable. How, 
how are you thinking about that? Is it like, is it, is it, is there any of my logic incorrect or how, you know, is there, is there a space there for a public service kind of service able to emerge on the current Dockler shared scooter service? So I, I think a lot of your logic is right. Uh, there's a few uh, key takeaways there. The, the first one is um, once the train is fully built, Yes, you know, it's super efficient. But in many parts of the city, there are no trains and no buses. And building a train there would just uh, not make any sense. For example, uh, we operate in Lyon. In some of the areas of Lyon, you, you can find a scooter, a dot scooter every 50 or 100 meters. But the nearest bus station is like 300 meters away. And, you know, there's just no train. And so a lot of the discussion is started about, I have got my, like, main tree, main, of main graph of, of train and buses, how can you make that more dense without me putting, you know, 20 times more buses that will run empty most of the time? Um, and so it's really about how do you expand the footprint of public transit thanks to private operators um, because they offer this like super small granular, you know, short distance trip that it would be so inefficient to build a bus line or train line just for that. At some point, I think that, as you said, um, the, the discussion may, may turn into how can we have one pass that works on public transit, on private operators, maybe for car rental, for scooter sharing, for bike sharing, for public transit. And be, it, can be, it can become a very complex discussion because you know, some, some of these services are fully private. Some of them are public and sponsored by tax money. How does that work? That, that becomes complex. But at the beginning, it's really how do we make a better service for everyone mm-hmm. uh, by, by spreading? Everybody wants to fight, you know, personal cars. And in that, we have a common enemy. Yes. And that's, you know, that's a great start of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, one, the one part I, I would, uh, I mean, look, I'm certainly uh, very excited about this the one part that i know i get a lot i get a lot of pushback because i'm a young tech bro is that uh is the is the fact that scooters well you know they work for you oliver you're you know 33 you can ride around on a scooter you're excited uh blah 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 but for you know uh, 70 plus year old people or kids or whatever that 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 for the the kind of the way that we've designed our public transport it's meant to be accessible what are you seeing in the micromobility vehicle space uh, that, that you think would be able to um, assist in that space? Yeah, it's very yeah. important to understand that we don't think of us as micromobility. Our mission is clean mobility for everyone. That includes micromobility, uh, you know, hardware like scooters, but we want to do hardware that works for everybody, including my mom. And it will be for everyone, not just for tourists in one specific part of Paris. It has to be across the entire city. It has to be for young people that are comfortable with a smartphone and have dispensable income, all the way to people that live in uh, less, uh, um, uh, in, in areas where there's less public transit, and, and, and you have to make the service affordable for them. So as such, you see us doing either our own vehicles, scooters and e-bikes, or partner with other services that are clean, so we can provide mobility for everyone. Maxime, anything to add there? <laughs> no, what I would say, I mean, in relation to the, to the age aspect, uh, that's one of the reasons why we want to do electrical bikes, because we definitely feel that uh, there is a portion of the population 
uh, especially the, the older uh, part of the population that probably will be more comfortable on an electrical bike. You can sit on it. It's probably a bit more comfortable. And also you can do bigger distances uh, with an electrical bike. So that's why we want to do it. But uh, as uh, Henry mentioned a bit, we are, I would say, overall vehicle agnostic. So what we want is to progressively fulfill all the needs of the different type of users uh, that we have in the cities. We started with the e-scooter, we'll do the electrical bike, and maybe we'll do more in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very exciting. Excellent. Well, um, I'm just looking at our time here. Is there anything in particular that um, you, go, I mean, that you guys wanted to touch on in particular around uh, maybe what you're seeing in Europe or um, the philosophy around DOT or something like that? Anything particular for you guys? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Henry? Yeah, so I would, I would just like... Um, there are no sayers for micromobility and they are just wrong. This, this is the direction of history. And mm. We've seen this type of breakthrough technologies in the past and there were a lot of naysayers. I remember when I was a kid, they were, it was the beginning of Amazon, eBay, and people were saying, you're never going to see people put their credit card on the internet, maximum once a month. Look at today. And then I, I, we saw mm. the early rise of uh, social networking and people were saying, you, you're only going to see uh, photos of cats. Uh, at, at best, you'll see one photo of a baby. Uh, no, no one will ever put their you know, photo of their kids on the internet. At mm. maximum once a month. And, and mm. look at today. And, and then there was uh, the arrival of Internet of Things and network connectivity and people started digitizing cars. And people were saying, you know, Uber is just going to be a black cab service maximum once a month when you go to the airport. <laughs> look, yeah. look at today. People give up their cars. I think, I think mobility, new mobility is exactly that. I hear people say maximum one, one ride of e-bike per month mm. in Paris. And, and, and look at today. All these cities that we look at some point, like Cambridge, Oxford, like Amsterdam. Look at the change. If you, if you Google photos. Victoria Embankments in London five years ago and today. Mm. It's, it's a massive change. If you look at, if you Google photos, Rue de Rivoli in Paris, it's the same. So, it, and this trend is just accelerating. So you, you have to look forward, not look backward. And micromobility will prove it's good for the planet and it's good for investors. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Um, well, look, that, that's going to be a note that we're going to end on, but I'm going to cut, uh, I want to cut one question into this as well, which is, um, so, uh, other than e-bikes, is there anything else that you're thinking of from a vehicle perspective, um, that you like, are you looking at mopeds for example? Cause like, this is one thing, if you say you're a new mobility company, I know that, um, uh, Tia, for example, went and bought Coop and I know that there's a lot of, um, there's expansion further up into those into those sort of vehicles uh we obviously consider micro mobility to every, be everything under 500 kilos so um how are you thinking about the the vehicle specifications or, or or what's interesting to you in the future primary question is whether you can go to mars <laughs> <laughs> we have to be ambitious who knows yes. who knows i mean let's do scooters well let's do e-bikes well and then we have other ideas at this point no, we still haven't find, um, found a, a spaceship to go to Mars. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, we lost Maxim. Oh, we did lose him. We did lose him. Um, cool. Well, look, uh, oh, maybe he'll be able to jump back on. 
in a second. Uh, but even if not, uh, I do want to say that. Uh, look, uh, this has been this has been a great chat. I I um, it's funny because I think there's a and I was being a little bit facetious in the beginning when I said you know. Uh, dots another uh, for, you know there's, there's a sort of the, the four letter name thing that uh that every scooter company seems to seems to have gone through um but this is but you you, you know it is it's there's a lot there to be said for just being operationally excellent and uh building a profitable company that makes sense and as you say that this is such that you know it's the very early days of what this industry is going to look like um so so hats off to you um for folks who want to try and track you down i mean i know you're you're a little bit active on twitter <laughs> how would uh how would people find you you can find me on twitter on linkedin yeah, yeah, for maxim yeah 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 and what's your what's your twitter handle so it's at moisinac it's my last name yes yeah, excellent. Well, I'll link to it in the uh, in the show notes. And um, yeah, we we have managed to lose Maxim, unfortunately, for for this recording. But that's uh, that's great. Well, look, hey Henry, I do want to um, say just thank you very much for for joining and uh, and for the chat tonight. It was great to see you all, <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for all the hard work you're putting. I mean, you know, you were. I mean, uh, I guess you're gone. You're going to cut now. But yeah. I, I was thinking during the the podcast. Um, what we just went through is exactly the same discussion as the early days of mobile. Mm. Um, you know, there were people like you uh, blogging, um, uh, doing newsletters, and you, you could count the number of subscribers in uh, tens of thousands. You know, mm, mm. and then uh, ten years later, you go to Mobile World Congress. It is not enough flights to get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You're going to well, see the same. That's what we expect with the conference, with, our, with that micromobility conference. It's going yeah. to be a juggernaut. And yeah. that's exactly what I said to people when I came back from, uh, from Berlin. I was thinking, I went to the, it's like going to the 3GSM in Cannes. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same. And, and, and what, what happens is you, you, you go every year and you see all the same people and again and again, and you, it, it becomes like a mafia. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. Oh, you were there when they announced this and that, and people yeah. did not believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to hopefully being able to have you announce some uh, something uh, when we when we uh, you know when we get back to Berlin and 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 you guys can show us your new e-bike and uh, uh, Maxim that sort is of thing. It would be great. Hey, yes. Maxim. Hey, Maxim. Hey, Maxim. Sorry, guys. Uh, I had to join from my yeah from my phone now. No, yeah, no stress. Yeah, internet connection broke. Oh, oh no stress, fine. no stress. Yeah, we were just we were just finishing up, but I uh, wanted to say thank you very much for uh, for everything. Yeah, our pleasure. I hope uh, it was interesting for you. Yeah, it certainly was, and that that was the part that I was saying to Henry was just uh, it was. You know, I was bit, I was a little bit facetious at the beginning with uh, you know, hey, look, you guys are all the same. So, uh, but but the but it's really. I think there's so much to be said for building a business that um, that is operate, you know, for focusing on operational excellence and focusing on actually building a business and not just expecting venture capital money to like, you know, fund the entire thing. Um, it's it's really exciting to see, and also just you know, obviously, it's incredible congratulations for getting Paris. And it's going to be awesome. You guys are obviously ones to watch in that space. Thank you.